When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, our crazy Steeler fans? Welcome into another episode of the Sick Podcast. Steelers, crazy. As always, I'm Mike Nicastro. I'm joined by my guy at Jordan York Music. He should be at Jordan York Football because I think at this time he's had a full-on career change from musician slash pop star slash rapper to full-on analyst and host over here. Jordan, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, I always I always love making music and I'll and I'll always, you know, love performing. But right now, you know, my my uh, main passion is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And here we are on the Steelers crazy podcast. So I guess it's a dream come true, right? Yeah, we're going to make some music today. I'm excited. We got a great guest, a local guy who certainly has been on the beat with the Steelers and some other teams as well. Maybe we'll get into Pirates, Penguins, who knows? Uh, go off the beaten path a little bit. So we're excited to do that. Stay with us here on the Stick Podcast, Steelers Crazy. Sammy, go ahead and roll it. Turn up your volume. your volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. Steelers Crazy. Harris Smith Shields. Blackout Polamalu takes it home. Super Bowl 43. Pittsburgh might be bound for that thanks to number 43. The sickest Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Yeah, and we have a special guest. We forgot to mention a very special guest, Mr. Josh Taylor. You can hear him and see him on KDKA 93.7 The Fan, as well as I think he uh, had his own podcast in the in the past that I used to listen to. I'm not sure if he's still doing that. And he is also what doesn't he a, do? A dude, yeah, the jack of all trades. Go ahead, we'll, we'll bring him in. That's a good question. What is. don't I do at this point? I don't have an answer for you. Um, yeah. If anything, I'm trying to you know take a little time away from doing a bunch of stuff. But uh, I first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is. Yeah. Duquesne alum, too. I forgot. I was going to add that in there. Shout out to Duquesne Bowling doing their thing in the national tournament. Duquesne University getting it done. Yeah. Shout out to Duquesne Bowling. We don't have much to brag about. So, so, I mean, (laughs) it's not like like we can brag about much else. So, if I got to show the bowling team love, I'll do it. You have to find a live stream of that. That is cool. Yeah, man. It's it's, it's pretty awesome. ESPN3, it might be on. Uh, last season, they had the um, they had the best bowler in the country. It was a pretty much like the Heisman Trophy of bowling. With that that you know that bowler was at Duquesne, so it's like it's our new claim to fame. It's like our West Virginia rifle, if you will. Because West go. Virginia exactly. always brags about the rifle team. Duquesne, we got bowling, so that's that's our thing. Is he get, is declaring three hundreds three hundreds every time? It's like that's what it is at the top. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's what it is. I mean, I have a niece that bowls in high school, and she's pretty good. I don't, I don't know if she's doing three hundreds every time, but. I'm guessing it's somewhere near that level because that's just. I still have to use the. It's it's, it's something I'm not capable of doing. Exactly, (laughs) it's a skill that I do not possess. So more power to him. Definitely. So we'll make the transition right away. Um, the reason we have you here, we are the sick podcast Steelers crazy. Uh, what do you make of the Steelers off season? Uh, thus far. 
it's one that I didn't expect, honestly. I, I had the question of how are they going to fill so many holes and try to address needs in the draft at the same time? I didn't know if they were able to do that, especially with a new, you know, this is Omar Khan's first draft. He's got Andy Weidel by his side for the first time because this time last year it was Kevin Colbert doing it on his way out the door. So it's an entirely mm-hmm. different situation. But they had a whole offseason. They had a whole college football season and everything to scout and get their eyes on players and prospects and everything. So this is where all that work that they did at the beginning, here's where it all comes to fruition. So I was very curious as to how they would handle the offseason, first off, because we knew there were definite needs and how they would approach the draft. Well, at least we know now what's happening as far as free agency. I expected them to fill some holes. I didn't expect them to fill as many holes because we knew there were needs. We knew there was a need on the offensive line. We knew there was a need on the defensive line, and they filled those areas. I didn't expect there to be as much address as far as linebacker. I didn't expect there to be that as dressed. There's as much as far as the safety position, as much as the corner position goes. Patrick Peterson was not on my list of things that I expected. Keanu Neal was not on my list of things that I expected. If anything, I expected maybe Terrell Edmonds to be back for another year. So a lot of the things that I think a lot of people probably didn't have on their bingo cards, they're getting covered up here and we haven't even approached the draft yet. And I think that's really, it's good in two different respects. One it helps you if at the very least it helps you build depth after the draft right. is over. So now, you know, you have places, you know, different positions stacked, but it also gives you an advantage going into the draft because now teams don't know what you're going to do. They don't know exactly which guy you might go for. They don't know exactly which position you're going to value among others. And you, you'll talk to you know former GMs and they'll tell you one of the most stressful parts about the draft and one of the most complicated parts or challenging parts is trying to understand a, what other GMs are going to do and B not letting them know what you're going to do. It's it's kind of a chess game in and of itself, but they managed to do a lot to where to make that chess game a little bit less, you know, obvious for them. There's going to be more guesswork involved as far as what the Steelers are doing. And I thought that was really important to do. And it was something Kevin Colbert's been doing for years, but now Omar Khan steps in with Andy Weidel and off the hop. They addressed offensive line immediately yeah. and brought in a couple guys that helped with the offensive line. Now, slowly but surely, they started to hit other areas. Like they eventually did hit the defensive line. They eventually did hit the secondary. So now you're trying to figure out who their first round pick could be, and it could be anybody at this point. And the best part about it is not only could it be the best player available, but whatever position that player has, it's probably going to fortify that position to make it that much deeper. And it probably squares things away for a longer time to come. Yeah, definitely. Who would you say, um, you know, personally, who's the most impactful signing do you think that they made this offseason so far? Oh, Isaac Salamala. I'm convinced that he was the guy they needed. And when you can bring in a guy who literally played every game last season from week one to the Super Bowl on one of the best offensive lines in the game, that's a guy you jump on. And and this is something I've been saying throughout the course of the season. And it, it kind of manifested itself throughout the playoffs as they got to the Super Bowl, that the teams that were that the teams that, you know, were continuing to have success down the line. And as the season wore on now, Philly was good for pretty much the entire season. Kansas City was good for pretty much the entire season. And a large part of that was their offensive line play. Their Mm -hmm. offense was so consistent because of their offensive line play. And I truly believe one of the Steelers biggest issues on offense was their inconsistency on the offensive line. You didn't really see it start to fix itself or start to really change until after the bye week. Then you saw that offensive line come together. You saw the run game get better. You saw the pass protection get at least marginally better. 
but I thought there were things that could be improved. So when you take a guy who was a member of one of the best offensive lines last season and played every game, and you now add him to a line that needed needed his help in both the run game and the pass game, that's a situation where not only are you making your run game better for your running back who's only had a couple years under his belt, but he still can be an impact guy. Now your quarterback that you drafted last year in the first round, whom I think we all agree at this point, is going to be their guy moving forward. I don't think it's a secret that Kenny Pickett is the long-term answer. But now you're protecting that guy. Because it's not just as easy as, okay, well, you draft a quarterback, you draft a couple of receivers, and you're fine. No, you got to protect that guy too. And we saw two instances last season where that guy was not protected, and they lost him and had to move mm-hmm. on without him. So you don't want to have that problem, especially with a young quarterback that you're hoping to develop. And you can't develop on the field if you're not standing on two feet on the field. So I felt like that was one of the more important moves, not only because it helps that unit per se, not only because it helps the run game, but it also gives a very, very good left guard that helps Kenny Pickett as far as protecting him and keeping him on both feet this season. We talked about, of course, the Steelers not pigeonholing themselves in the NFL draft, right? By signing a lot of these guys who fill these needs. If they stick at 17, Josh, give me a handful of names that could be in consideration for that pick. Whew, man, as I just talked about all this stuff that could happen for them. Um, it's hard to look at whatever, whatever corner could be on the board. And that could be uh, Joey Porter Jr. has been like, insert name here. It's like the first one that always comes off the list. Um, that could be a couple of different players. That could be the best tackle on the board. That could be the best defensive lineman on the board. And, and that really is what, that's what kind of creates the guessing game here. That's the trick about being in that latter part of the first round. When you're in the first half of the first round, you can see which guys may fall to you and which guys may be available. It's a little bit harder to gauge it on the back end of things. A guy like Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, I think will be useful for them. A a guy that I think will really be good for them. If I had to pick one guy that I think could be there and should help them immediately, I'd love to see Broderick Jones from Georgia be there. That would be fantastic for me. Uh, Now, granted, I might have a little bit of a tilted bias here because I've been making the same joke for two seasons now that Georgia is the Roman Reigns of college football. So if you get me another Georgia guy, I'm not going to complain because you got a Georgia guy on offense last year, and he turned out to be pretty good. So if you're if Broderick Jones is that guy, I'm not going to complain. On the other side of the ball, if that guy were to be like a Jalen Carter, I'm not going to complain about that either because it's another Georgia guy that they could use up front in the trenches. It, it feels it feels to me like this is going to be one of those drafts where there's a guy there that for some odd reason, whether it's just luck of the draw, he just falls. It's one of those Kevin Colbert, oh, we're, we're, we can't believe this guy fell to us. It has that feel to it yeah. as opposed to where the past couple years where – you know, you knew Najee Harris was the guy. You knew if Najee Harris was there and they were going to pick him, he was going to go. And then you saw it unfold last season where you knew once they got past the mid-teens that if Kenny Pickett was still on the board, there was a good chance he could be a stealer. Then after the 19th pick goes, you're sitting there going, this is really <laughs> going to happen. He's really going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. So okay. even, even when you weren't sure if he could be there, you knew if he was there, it was probably going to happen. This has more of that, hey, we can't believe this guy fell to his kind of feel to it because I think there's three or four guys that they probably really, really like. And I think they're also aware of the fact that, you know, maybe two or three of those guys may not be available. But I'm thinking best corner available. I'm thinking best offensive lineman available or maybe even best defensive tackle or best defensive lineman, whether tackle or edge available. It's really – I think it's really a win in any of those situations, like I mentioned before. Because those are all situations where on the defensive line, you need to get younger. 
we we know this. Cam Hayward and anybody who has been anywhere within five feet of me knows how high I hold Cam Hayward in regard. But I also understand the fact that Cam Hayward is approaching his mid-30s. Granted, I'm 41 years old. I wake up hurting for no reason. So so when you slam your body into people for a living in your mid-30s, sooner or later your body's going to start making some noise. So I I imagine there's some times where where Cam is starting to hear some of those those cries from his body as to whether or not he wants to keep going. But that's a reason why you address this now. You address this now with defensive line because you need that group to get younger. And Tyson Aluwalu was on his way out the door, and he was a guy who was already in his 30s. So you got to get more guys in your 20s in the door as opposed to guys approaching their 30s or on the wrong side of 30. So I think that's a win there. The offensive line, the tackle position specifically, because the interior line, I think they're fine, but I think there can be some work to be done at the tackle position. At the very least, it builds depth. At the most, I think it provides you a quality starter that you can use and can be a long-term guy. So I don't think you can lose in that regard. And I will say corner because the best corner on the board, I think is going to help this defense immediately, especially because A, it's going to give you a guy you can put out there maybe that can help you, in, especially in first and second down, not even counting the sub package. But also, you want to get a guy in there, a corner, who's not continuing this trend of seeing guys for one or two years at a time. You want to try to break that trend eventually. You want to get a guy in here who's going to be here for a while. I think we all thought Cam Sutton was going to be that guy that was going to be here for a while. I don't even think the shock of Cam Sutton, you know, signing with Detroit. I don't think it was just because, oh, you know, they just didn't offer to pay him. I think it was because we all expected Cam Sutton to be here because he'd been that guy who – even though he might not have jumped off the tape all the time, he may not have made a bunch of highlights. He was at least there and he was consistent over that time period. So he's kind of like, you know, you're like, all right, well, Cam Sutton's going to be here. And then all of a sudden he's not. And that's the shock. I think that hit a lot of people. So you want to have some kind of continuity at that Mm. position as well, because that hasn't been the trend in recent years. Josh, you're talking about Georgia Bulldogs. I think the Steelers obviously pretty happy with the Bulldog they got last year in George Pickens, but it leads me to a position we hadn't covered yet, the wide receiver position. Uh, Why yes. are you surprised that the Steelers let a slot guy like Steven Sims go? Obviously, maybe you know, touch on Calvin Austin and the optimism they have for him. And a second part to that, how early do you expect them to address receiver in the draft? Whew. I think that would depend on the, the caliber of player that's available at that point because at, it, another one of those insert player name here, you, you, you hear the name Jordan Addison. It feels like one of those ones you just like, you kind of just plug in and it just works. Cause it just, you know, it's almost like AI created that sentence, mm-hmm. but I, I think the, the decision among Steven Simpson was pretty much, I think it was centered around Calvin Austin. I don't think that's a mm-hmm. much of a surprise for anybody. I think it does create a much more of an urgency of Calvin Austin to remain healthy because you can't have a repeat of last year. I mean, the guy got drafted and we expect him to be this, you know, big piece of this offense and he never makes it on the field past training camp. And that's a hard, hard pill to swallow when you're trying to see more young playmakers on this offense. And he never really got out of the block, so to speak. So if he can stay healthy, then maybe we're not even thinking about Steven Sims come week eight or week nine, because Calvin Austin's producing, or at least that's what you hope for. As far as the draft, I could see as early as day two, Maybe late day two. I can see as early as then. If not, definitely day three. If we've known anything about this organization, they can find receivers at parts of the draft and and hit, whether it's early in the draft or later in the draft. They've been able to hit on both ends of it. I would say as early as day two. 
I'd be stunned if one of those top flight receiver guys was there at 17 for them to jump on. And if they are, by all means do so. It's just, it's hard to imagine that receivers that are that talented, that can be that, you know, that beneficial to your offense going outside of the top 12 or 15, because there are so many teams that want guys like that. And you should want guys like that because they can be game breakers for you. And let's not kid ourselves. If George Pickens isn't coming off of an injury, during his time at Georgia, he's probably one of those guys last year. They really, yeah. really caught a break there as far as bringing in a guy with that kind of profile and athleticism. It just so happened he's coming off an injury, so that kind of hurt his draft stock a bit. So if you can find another guy like that on day two, I think that's really advantageous for the Steelers. Yeah, definitely. Who do you think will be the most improved player on the team in 2023? Ooh. It's a good question. I know we're giving you all we're giving you all the burning questions here, but That's while we have you, we have guy. to. I'll keep it to the guys in the first couple of years. The more obvious one, the more obvious one for me would be Kenny Pickett, but I think yeah. that's too easy because it's imperative that he gets better yes. in year two. It's imperative that he makes the leap, and it's one of those things where you're developing a quarterback. He has no choice but to develop where that investment goes in the wrong direction. So yeah. I'm going to set Kenny Pickett to the side. I say biggest leap going into next year. I am going to go. I'm going to go with a little bit of a of a not so mentioned one. Curveball. I'm, I'm curious to see what Mark Robinson does. Wow. Yeah. I'm very curious about him because you see the athleticism, you see the speed, but towards the end of the year, you saw a couple speed bumps that he kind of went over because he got more opportunity. And you you hear coaches talk about young players like they want opportunity and sometimes too much kind of exposes them. I want to see what he does, especially if he grows in like a special teams role, because let, let's not kid ourselves. And this is something where you have to kind of remind people, you know, this is a, still a new position for him. He's still kind of learning as he goes. It's a very T.J. Watt vibe to it. I don't think people realize when T.J. Watt got drafted, he played that position for a couple of years. He was still technically learning it. Yeah. It just so happened that, you know, that second year leap was just fantastic, but it also helps that, you know, his athletic profile was just off the charts and had a really, really good older brother to learn some things from yeah. too. Um, as Mike Tomlin would say, you know, he probably got some of the answers before the test, but um, for Mike Ro Mark Robbins' perspective, I'd like to see what he does as far as having make a bigger, maybe a bigger special teams role. I'd like to see what he does. Now, granted, he's already got two guys in front of him in the depth chart. But I'd like to see what he does as far as growing and developing into that role. Because you and I, you guys all know this. All it takes is one injury to give another guy an opportunity. And you hear Mike Thomas say, one guy misfortune yeah. is another guy's opportunity. So if Mark Robinson does get that chance, especially if he's playing well on special teams, then he becomes another one of the guys that kind of followed that progression. Think back to years past of really good players on this defense. That started out as special teams, guys. Remember, Joey Porter was a special teams guy starting out. Ike Taylor was a special teams guy starting out. Troy Polamalu was a special teams guy starting out. These guys got their opportunities first on special teams and then grew into that role and became and became productive players. James Harrison was a special teams guy starting out and grew in, and all it took was Joey Porter getting into one fight in Cleveland with William Green before the game, and all of a sudden here comes James Harrison bursting onto the scene. But it, it does come back to, you know, being able to develop at that pace in the role that you're given. And then when your opportunity comes, you shoot right out and you're ready to go. So I'll, I'll say Mark Robinson. I like that. 
Uh, one more question before uh, we wrap it up and I swing it over to Mike. Um, what do you think that Matt Canada specifically has to do to change the perspective, you know, of him in Pittsburgh? You know, a lot of the times, you know, it's when the offense isn't doing well, he gets all the blame, which a lot of it is him. But it's also, you know, it's a it's a team effort. Um, just kind of just touch on that because I'm, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you cover the Steelers, you're, you know, you're around just, just kind of like to change the perspective. What can Matt Canada do? Like what, what do you think would turn the tides? Go to work, go to work, stay at work and I, keep the outside noise out because yeah. at this point, the outside noise is deafening. And I'm yeah. one of those people that thinks that maybe not all of the outside noise is deserved. Now, mm-hmm. I, I have a specific set of criticisms of Matt Canada. They're not the same as other people's, and they're probably not as loud, and they're probably not as yeah. many. I have a couple specifically, and one of them, I think one of them in particular, and this is something that it may not be as reflective on him as it may be on the offensive scheme itself. He has to have every single piece that he needs for that offense to work. Yeah. And if you don't, then it all kind of falls apart. So if you don't have that receiver that can make plays at a certain position, if you don't have maybe you know enough horses on the offensive line that can actually provide space for your running game, everything else kind of crumbles around it. It's kind of everybody has that one uncle that has that old car that he drives around, and he's yeah. the only guy that can keep it running. It's, it's kind of that situation. <laughs> it feels like that from time to time when it comes to Matt Cannon, that offense. And I think we've seen – particularly when he was at Pitt, when you have all the pieces, how it can work. Because I don't think people will remember just how productive that offense was. I, I find it funny because you'll hear Pitt fans, oh, 42-39. Well, Matt Canada was the offensive coordinator that helped you get the third 42. Yeah. Oh, there's that big win against Clemson. Yeah, Matt Canada was the guy that dropped 40 on Clemson. Well, his offense dropped 40 on Clemson in Death Valley to win that game. But he also had all the pieces you needed to make it work. He had a really good offensive line at Pitt with veteran guys that were, you know, either junior seniors or fifth year guys he had you know at least some talent at right receiver that could do specific roles he had guys like george aston and james connor that can do those roles at, at that can fill those roles at running back but now you're starting to see those roles get filled here you have Najee harris now you have a connor hayward who can fill that george aston type role he can run the ball he can catch he can block and we saw him make some plays last year that not only helped them win games but close some games out so now you're seeing those pieces get filled so now all, if all of those roles, we're assuming all of those roles are going to be filled coming into the season. And if they are, go to work now. Go to work now. Forget what's being said around you. Go to work and prove that, hey, when you have everything you need, this is what it has to be. Because I don't think he had everything he needed last year. I don't think Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky had everything they needed last year. And I thought the changes that they made both midseason, after the season, and the changes you're going to see coming after the draft are going to reflect that. But now if you got everything in front of you, you're without excuse now. You got to go in, do the job, and prove you belong here. And I think that's going to be the part of it. So for me, if he wants to, if he wants to change the perspe- perception around him, he's got to come in with everything he's got and get the most of it. Because I don't think he got the most of it last year. So you got to do that now, but you got to go to work and you got to shut the rest of it out. And you saw the frustration from him coming from the sessions he had mm-hmm. with the media. And, and honestly, I don't know how many people will respond very differently. I mean, after a while, you hear the same questions over and over again. Yeah. You're going to get a little irritated. But it becomes where, you know, you you might want to start watching what the head guy does and, and just finding ways to just, you know, keep certain keep certain doors closed 
and I think this is one of those things that we don't always appreciate with Mike Tomlin because he finds ways to just, especially when it feels like the heat's being turned up around him, he finds yeah. ways to keep that down to a low simmer. So it's going to be something that Matt Canada has to do too. But for me, I think it just comes down to show up every day, do the work. Don't worry about the outside stuff. Just make sure you're covering your end. And maybe if that happens, the rest takes care of itself. Man, I think that was I think that was the best Matt Canada take I've ever heard in Pittsburgh. I love it. Good job. That's saying a lot. That clip's going to be out there. I love it. (laughs) Oh, man. That's that's a lot of pressure. I respect it, though. I never really thought about it like that, but it was like at the end of the season when stuff started to click and Pickett was doing the two-minute drills and this and that, people – who were you going to give – what were you going to gripe about? You know, there wasn't wasn't a fall Where's Quadri Henderson when you need him? Yeah, man. And like, it, it, but that's one of those things like they needed a weapon like that. And yeah. during that season at Pitt, there would be times where Quadri, Quadri Henderson make plays. And I would tweet it out, mm. Quadri Henderson weapon. Like that, was, I just tweet out yeah. three words. But it's one of those things where, you know, he had a lot of pieces that can do those things you needed. And I don't think he had them all last year. And I think when you saw Chase, Chase Claypool trade to Chicago, you're, you're kind of getting that vibe that, okay, like, okay, maybe this isn't working. And now we know why. Or now we know why this isn't the way it's supposed to go. But right after the bye week, you saw things change. And this is something that I think I tweeted this out the day of the Cleveland game. And I said, I got three words, run the ball. You run the ball, everything else around you will change. They got out of the bye week. They started running the ball. They ran the ball efficiently. That's the important part. They ran the ball efficiently. It allowed them to open up the offense. It allowed Kenny Pickett to see things more clearly. And and you hear one of the old adages from coaches, what's one of the best ways to protect your quarterback is to run the football because we had already seen him concuss twice. And it's like, look, you got to keep this guy on your feet by any means necessary. You got to try to find something that works. And running the ball helped with that. And you saw this team not only win games in the second half of the season, but you saw them close out games in the second half of the season, because there's a couple games in the first half of the season that they could not close out. And that's why they lost them. They couldn't close out against new England. They couldn't close out against the jets. You got to close games out. by running football. It would have been nice to see if they could have stayed more in that game against Miami to see them close that game out. But turnovers became a problem. And this is something I brought up throughout the course of the season. This is a team where they played 11 games last season where the defense gave up 20 points or less, but nine of them, they either had an even or positive turnover margin, and they won all nine games. The two that they didn't were Baltimore and Miami, and they lost them. So even if you just managed to limit the turnovers, maybe you're talking about 11 wins as opposed to nine. You're talking about a playoff spot, and you're contending for a division championship. That's really the margin here. It's not that big. And I think we saw that manifest itself during the second half of the season because you saw this offense get more comfortable running the football, and that's one of the other criticisms against Matt Canada. His offense is very run-heavy. But here's the thing that we're leaving out. There are other teams around the league whose offenses are becoming a little bit more run heavy. And there's somewhere it's not even necessarily run heavy. It's about being run efficient. This is something that people aren't talking about. Eight of the top 12 teams in the league last year in yards per carry made the playoffs and two of them played in the Super Bowl. So it's not even about running for 200 yards a game. But if you can average four and a half, 4.7, 4.8 yards a carry, Philly and Kansas City, 4.7, 4.8 respectively. If you can run the ball efficiently, whether you do it a lot or a little bit, if you do it a lot, then it helps drive your offense where that might've been the case in the second half of the Steelers last year. If you're doing it a little bit, a little bit, but doing it efficiently in the way Kansas city did it, where they were like, Hey, we don't care who runs the ball. 
we're going to just try to find a way for a guy to get four or five yards a pop. And that's how it worked for them. So if you can do that, the way the Steelers are trying to at least do it or any other way you could put it together, your offense is going to look a lot better by default. I can't stop thinking about my uncle's old car now. Uh, it, it either <laughs> smells like one of two things every time. It either smells like somehow a perfectly brand new car. Yes. Or cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to your, to so, your point. To your point. I, I had an uncle. And I have siblings and cousins that can attest to this story. I had an uncle, my, my great uncle, my uncle Bob. He drove a 79 Toronado. I swear he drove it for 30 years. And then he finally he kept that oil 30, changed. I mean, but here's the crazy part though. He kept that thing pristine. He mm-hmm. he kept it pristine. Like seats, like the original upholstery was still in there. It still had the same eight track. Like it was just it was insane how well he preserved this car. You couldn't even bring a bottle of water or a can of pop in his car. Like you were not allowed to even bring food in his car. He was all about it. And we we made fun of him for years. Like, oh, come on. You got to get rid of this car. Like, come on, man. This, this car is older than some of your nieces and nephews, man. You got to do something about this. He was like, oh, man, this is a good car. And, and to, to his credit, I, I've never seen that man waste a dime. He's one of the most frugal, officially money-spending people I've ever seen. But that car was part of the reason, man, because he didn't buy a car for more than three decades. And he kept that thing going, man, as long as he could till he finally got another one. So you're not alone on that one. You're not alone. I think we're on to a new candle idea. Uncle's old car. Yes, you can make so much money off that. Oh, man. Podcast Steelers crazy. Of course, you're in on that percentage-wise. You're in on that. I'll buy two to start out. I'll buy two. (laughs) There we go. Shark Tank, here we come. Shark Tank, here we come. Josh, where can people hear you next? What do you got coming up? Uh, 93.7 The Fan. I've actually taken quite a bit of time off between TV and radio. There's a ton going on with me right now. Um, my wife is coming up on 35 weeks pregnant. So Congrats. she's, she's doing it. Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're coming down the, coming down the pike here as I've been taking some time and, um, trying to help her around the house. Plus we have a two year old running around. So that makes it even more, more, uh, more interesting. Um, doing a lot of work around the house, just trying to get, you know, the nursery set up because that's a big thing when you're, yeah. when you're mm-hmm. about to become a parent. Yeah, get the nursery right. You got to make sure that's there. And it's got to be done before the kid gets here or you kind of miss the point. So we're working on that too. But um, 93.7 The Fan, I'll be back within the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'll be back on TV at KDK this upcoming Saturday. So I'll be back there this weekend. Um, kind of strange having a, a couple of weeks off, just doing stuff around the house and, yeah. and doing dad stuff to get back to work. But I'm eager because it's it's draft time. So if there's a time yeah. to get back to work, you get back to work in draft time and draft season, it's going to get kind of nuts. And, you know, people are going to, really get excited about it and plus not to mention the fact that you know don't look now but the pirates are winning some baseball games so that's that's interesting at least at least try to ride it out as long as you can see how see how long this wave stays at the crest so it's a good time to get back into it yeah i was at opening day i think i might have texted like seven people and i was like i feel like i'm at a Steeler game i mean the lines were long the atmosphere i mean i got chills when kutch you know came out um, just, yeah. you know, AJ Burnett's throwing out the first pitch. I'm like nostalgic. I'm back in high school. I'm like, man, this is just like, I want this. I I, I want, you know, I witnessed, you know, multiple Super Bowls, you know, in my time, you, you know, this with the Steelers. So I tell everyone, like, would you rather have another? Yeah, I always want the Steelers to win the Super Bowl, but I cannot imagine what this town would be like if the Pittsburgh Pirates won a World Series. I mean, yeah. I think I think that they might there might be riots for like two weeks. Good, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. 
it's crazy. There was a time, God, this is probably at least at least penguins a- too. I mean, I seen you know back yeah. to back, so it's like the the pirates. I'm 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 here. I'm waiting. I'm still here, baby. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of those in my lifetime too. I want to say it was almost 15 years ago. I interviewed Bob Costas at an event at on Pitts campus, and I asked him about the event itself. It was a it was an event celebrating uh, Pitt 100 years of you know, athletic achievement and mm-hmm. as far as um Af- African American athletes. And I asked him, said, what does an event like this say about Pitt- Pittsburgh as a sports town? And he immediately went to, he's like, you know, you hear about the Steelers, you hear about the Penguins, and you, you know about what Pitt's done over the years. He said, but if the Pirates could figure it out, he said, this town would lose its mind. And and, and you, like, the way his eyes changed, because he, he goes, he's like, you know, the, the genesis of this, of this city be growing as a sports town, the genesis of it was the Pirates. The Pirates were the yeah. ones that really started you know, that 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 string of Pittsburgh really becoming that city that people noticed. The Pirates were the ones that started that ball rolling. Then you saw the Steelers come along. Then you saw the Penguins come along. And there were, you know, obviously there were some great moments with Pitt along the way. But it was the Steelers that started. I mean, it was the uh, Pirates that started that cycle. So yeah. when you hear somebody from the outside talk about it, it kind of reinforces it. And I was at the wildcard game 10 years ago. I was there. I was working in Arkansas at the time. I was working in, in Fayetteville as an anchor. But that was like the week after my birthday. I just, I think I had just taken that week off. And it just so happened the wildcard game fell during that time period. And one of my really good friends bought me a ticket to the wildcard game as a birthday present. She's like, we're going together. So That's we a went. Great friend. And, oh, man. One of my best friends. And shout out to Stacey Gold. We've been friends for almost 30 years. Um, but it was one of those atmospheres where it's like where you can tell people I was there at the wild card game. And then you mm-hmm. heard the discussion of, you know, where, oh, it'd be nice to have a blackout for opening day. And you're going, hey, if if yeah. if a blackout's gonna happen, like you can't just toss out, you can't toss out a blackout at PNC Park and yeah. have it fall flat. If you're gonna talk blackout at PNC Park, it's gotta be a big deal because the wild card game in 2013 set that standard. It set that bar of if you're gonna have a blackout, it's gotta be nuts. It, I, I hate to try to, you know, parallel things, but what have you ever seen a lame whiteout game at Penn State? Whiteout games aren't lame. Yeah. They're nuts. They go crazy. They're nationally televised. There are people everywhere. They're losing their minds. So when you get a blackout game at PNC Park, especially when you know what the first one was like, you have yeah. to meet that challenge. And to to their credit, to the fans that are at opening day, Jordan, you among them, you guys met the challenge, man. And, and from just what I got to see and hear grant i was listening to some on the radio i was watching some too yeah. and it, it was just it was it, it awesome. took me back there it took me back to 2013 and I, I wished i was there but to be there in 2013 and kind of see that recreated it was cool for me yeah really, the pitch really cool. clock is the pitch clock is also great um that was my first time like see obviously in person like because i i watched it you know but it was just like it makes the game so much faster i think people who are are there just to enjoy the views? I think they're more engaged in the game. So okay. I think that that with technology, there's certain things that we can do to make sports better. That's a win for the MLB. I will say. I haven't heard many of the pitch clock or good takes. I'll I'll, I'll agree with you though. Yeah, I, and probably because I cover quite a bit of college baseball. Yeah, um, in my career and college baseball, there was a pitch clock, and some of the conferences had a pitch clock. So it wasn't like it's completely unfamiliar to me. I've seen it before, and I feel the same way because you hear people say, "Oh, well, you know, baseball needs to be like it was." Well, baseball games were shorter back yeah. then too. Like we can talk about how the game needs to be how it used to be. Well, games used to be within within three hours. It didn't take you know three and a half four hours and sometimes four and a half. 
when you can shorten that game time down, and I understand that the novelty of baseball not having a clock. I yeah. understand that part. But at the same time, you know, baseball didn't have a clock, but it also didn't take all night. Yeah. It also didn't take up hours people of the day. People got to go to work the next day. People, people have got, kids. Yeah. yeah, people, kids got to go to school, whole Life. nine yards. Not to mention the fact that back then, when you had that specter, games were mostly played in the afternoon. So you didn't yeah. have to worry about them being out all night, or you didn't have to worry about going from seven to eleven thirty. Now you get them in, you know, hope you get them within three hours, maybe three and a half, and you still get a good, still get to watch a good game. I think that's a win for everybody. Definitely. Well, we really appreciate you having here. I'm glad we not only got to talk some Steelers, but you know, talk some other Pittsburgh sports. And uh, there he is, Josh Taylor Bowling. HD. Yes. Shout out to Duquesne Bowling. Duquesne yes. Man, and we really appreciate. We know you're busy. Congratulations on the soon-to-be kid. We know you're be a great dad. I know that that's one of your biggest accolades. I see it in your bio, so that's that's awesome. But yeah, man, we'll definitely best job have I've you ever on. Had. Definitely, I can. Of all of them, that. it's the best. It's the of yeah. all of the jobs I have, it's the one I enjoy the most. Definitely. Well, you're a part of the sick family now, and we'll definitely have you on. You know, closer to the season and uh, talk some Steeler football. Thanks, Thanks again, Josh. man. Appreciate you, fellas. Awesome Thank time. You. Thanks, man. Yeah, man, it's it's always you know you always got to tie a little bit. We're the Steelers crazy podcast, and uh, but it, it's always cool to just get someone you know who's in the scene and get their take on everything. But yeah, man, another great episode. Uh, yeah, that Matt Canada take, man, that was like I was like, man, I I never never really looked at it like that. So uh, this is another great episode. We appreciate you guys all tuning in. Um, shout out to all the new subscribers. We're we going all year round, baby. This is JY, Mike, another episode of the Sick Podcast, Steeler Crazy. Thank you, Josh Taylor. We'll see you in a few days. Sammy. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast, Steelers Crazy on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.